On the first Sunday that I came to preach at KT, I spoke about purpose, that you have a purpose, and that is a deep theme within my and Kathy's ministry. But in the first November, very quickly after I was here, I spoke about heart posture. Talked about the humble heart and the hungry heart and the hearing heart. And um, in one sense, that message will never change. That actually we need to dig deeper into that message. Your heart is the center of all your motivations. Everything that you do comes from that center and those motivations. It's vitally important. Your inner man, your inner person. And so in starting this series about life management and the teachings that I will do, and it will stretch a little bit. It won't be long, but we're going to intersperse it with Easter and with some guest speakers, as I said earlier. But in starting this, I want to make a clear statement. It's all about the condition of your heart. And that's really the deeper truth that I'm trying to minister to you. We're all ordinary people. How many of you know the, the band Coldplay? They wrote a song called something like this, and they said, these are the lyrics, I've been reading books of old, legends and their myths, Achilles and his gold, Hercules and his gifts, Spider-Man's control and Batman's with his fists, and clearly I don't see myself upon that list. Aren't you glad I'm not singing it, by the way? But she said, where do you want to go? How much do you want to risk? I'm looking for somebody. I'm not looking for somebody, excuse me, with superhuman gifts. Some superhero with some fairy tale bliss. I want, just want someone I can turn to. And you know what? I, I just think that that's what God wants for us. That I think God is the same. He's not looking for superheroes. He's not looking for people who can be pressurized to stretch beyond what they should do. He's actually just looking for ordinary people who've got hearts that want to be connected to him. If you're here as a guest today, our message is really simple. The heart finds no rest until it finds its rest in him. I think this series we'll do over the next few times will change your life if you engage with it. If you stay with me on it, it will change some things in your life for the better. Let's do some Bible teaching. If you've got a device or your Bible with me, come with me and let's, let's actually look at some things. Um, a very famous verse that I believe is often used poorly about people on giving and receiving is Luke chapter 6, verse 38. We're going to look Luke chapter 6, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy 15, if you'd like a little heads up of where we're going. But you're okay with me delving into the Bible, aren't you? And we'll do some Bible teaching today. You don't have to amen a lot, you have to engage, okay? Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says this, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to remember that phrase. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Now, please look with me. Just uh, Those of you who know the Bible, go with me to, let's look at the context of that and look at the parallel passage in Jesus' most famous sermon on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Turn with me there, or do your device so it goes there. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 2 says this. Jesus speaking says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, you've been all doing so well with the J. John Evings. When he uh, says a principle, he says, say it after me. Could, you, could we just say that together? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's go back to Luke chapter 6. So we'll just put a bit of context about it. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Let's read it together. It says this. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured to your lap. Let's say this bit together. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want you to notice that these passages are what you give from your heart. That's what you get back. Do you give judgment? Do you give condemnation? Do you give forgiveness? When you hear the words give... We often think of money. But I wonder you notice something. Money is not mentioned in this passage. Do you notice that? It's actually, the passage really means, it's what do you give from your heart? What attitudes are you giving? What, what demeanor are you showing? What are you showing to people? Now, the idea of giving is way bigger than money. It's much bigger than what we reduce it down to. It's not a fruit machine where you put something in and hope you get something out. Marriage is about two givers, isn't it? It's probably about two four givers, actually. God's grace is about how he gave his son. You see, giving in whatever area is more about the heart because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus himself said, your heart follows your treasure. We often think it's the right way around. Oh, get my heart right and things will come to me. No, your heart follows where your treasure is. So what you give out from your heart, you will get back. That's more what this scripture is teaching. What you exude or give out from your heart, you'll get it back. You know, I've seen some parents say, I just don't understand why my kids are shouting all the time. And then you look at them and they go, sit down! And you think, I think I know why your kids shout all the time. Because what you give out is what you get back. Or the measure you use will be measured back to you. 
If you give judgment, you're going to get it back. What you give out, you will get back in the same measure. This passage that we often use is not a motivation for giving. It is the reward for being generous. It's a stamp upon it. If you've got a good and giving heart, then God will bless you. All of us have a problem, and we have a problem of the heart. And what God is trying to do more than anything else, he's trying to build his church but he's trying in our individuals to fashion our hearts. He's trying to purify our inner motivations so that he can use us, so we can, we can be in relationship with him. God is trying to fashion your heart more than anything else. You know, as people think we're in the church, oh, you're just being brainwashed and all that. I needed my brains washing. They were really dirty. I know that. But, but the thing about it is, God, we're not into anybody's brainwashing. We're actually into heart surgery. That, that your heart is shaped so that you can connect with God. So would you go with me, and I'm making no apologies for just being a Bible teacher today. Go with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 15. And let's, we're going to read a passage of Scripture there from verse 7 to verse 15. And let's read this um, and follow along with me, if you will, because I want to to four little ideas well, actually, the big idea is about how to develop a generous heart because your heart is the issue. Are you there with me in Deuteronomy chapter 15? And we'll look from verse 7. I want you to notice really soon in, as soon as I start reading, that the first two verses are about the heart, verses 7 and 8. And we often think the Old Testament, don't we, is all about laws and commandments. Well, listen to this. This is a different and a heart take. Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 says, If anyone is poor amongst you, fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought the seventh year for cancelling debts is near so that you do not show ill will towards the needy amongst your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may appeal to the Lord against you and they will be found guilty and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so uh, and do so without a grudging heart. This, then because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Whoa. I'll come back to this. It's an enormous promise here. You get this right about having a generous heart, and God is going to bless everything that you do. His, his favor is going to be upon what you do. Verse 12. There will always be poor people in the land. You remember Jesus said, the poor are always with you. There will, be, there will be always poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites and to who are poor and needy in the land. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you for six years, in the seventh year, you must let them go free. 
I wonder who you're serving, and I wonder when will you be free? And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember this, that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I want to give you this command today. Wow. What an amazing passage of Scripture. First idea that we have to do is, if we're going to shape our hearts, is deal with the selfish heart. Remember verse 9 says, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year for canceling debts is near, so that you don't show ill will. In, in the Israelite economic system, every seven years meant that all debts were canceled. Wouldn't that be great? You know, if you had your mortgage... And you, you know, you said to the bank manager, well, in seven years, whatever it is, you're canceling it out. That'd be a great system, wouldn't it? God's got some amazing ideas, hasn't he? Why don't you go and see your bank manager tomorrow and just say, hey, I've come up with this idea. It's not my idea, it's God's idea. But what would happen is, is when they got to the about six-year cycle, people would start not lending because they think, well, it's going to be cancelled in a year's time, and I wanted to. And God said, don't be like that. Don't do that. Don't be selfish. We know it's going to be cancelled, but give it away. You see, we've got to deal with our selfish heart. Jesus said, the things that spoil us come from our hearts. He wants to deal with that selfishness. Why do you think that God invented giving? Do you think that he needs it? I mean, you know, you know that God, like the pavement is gold. I mean the pavement. When you go outside today, just look down at the pavement and go, ooh, I can see what God values now. The pavement is gold. Do you think that God needs money? And we know that we do need to give to support the work, but that's just a byproduct of why he invented giving for us. Uh, he invented giving for our heart health. He invented giving so that we could defeat our selfishness. He invented giving so he could shape our hearts. Go back to Luke chapter 6. L look at verse 38. Luke, Luke isn't teaching us to give so we can get, it, it grieves me when people teach this way. God is not teaching us to give so that we can be more greedy, so we can just get good measure shaken down, pressed in a lot. God is saying, when you give, I will reward you. So you give forgiveness, I'm going I'm to reward you with lots of people forgiving you. When, when you give, I'm going to reward you. We, we love it, don't we, when our parents, as parents, when our children share. It, it makes us proud, doesn't it? And, and you've all had a scrap at your house, perhaps when, if you've got two siblings, when they're not sharing. Hey, let me show you this picture of, of my uh, grandchildren. And, and, and here, that's Isabella on the left and Gabriel on the right. And they decided to share books. And now, 
they're only one, so I'm not sure they were reading, but they, did, they were imitating reading. I mean, we'll need to take this picture off the screen in a moment so Kathy can concentrate on the rest of the message. But they decided to share, and we just captured that moment. And it's just a joy to parents, isn't it, when your children share. How much more, please take the picture off, it's going to distract me. Um, how much more will our heavenly Father enjoy it when his children begin to share? I have to say that when we go out as a team, or actually if I generally go out, I suffer from food envy. You know, I, I'll order something, and then I'll look over to what somebody else's order and think, oh, I wish I'd had that. <laughs> do you do that? I, I always do that. I've ordered mine, I've taken ages over the menu, and then as soon as somebody else comes, I want their food. Why are it, what is it about women that think we men want to share our food when we go out? Can I have some of your chips? No, those are my chips. <laughs> now, if Kathy was up here, and I think she might rush the, rush the platform in a minute, she says, well, Mark, you just eat so fat and fast, and then you look at my food as if I've got to share it to put her under pressure. Forgive me, darling, the measure I use, I'll give it to you. <laughs> God is trying to deal with the, our selfishness. That's why he invented giving. I'm still not sure that God ever intended men to share food, but take the point that God is trying to deal with our selfishness. Second thing, God is trying to deal with our grieving or grudging heart. Verse 10 in Deuteronomy 15 says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. And because of this, the Lord will bless all of your work and everything you do. If you can have this non-grieving heart and non-grudging heart, if you can get it right in this area, look at the enormity of this promise. God says, if you get this right, if you let me shape your heart so that you're generous in encouragement, generous with your time, generous with your, with your resources, generous, if you can get that right, I will bless everything else. That's an enormous promise that we should actually spiritually mindedly so take note of. Generosity is something that God loves. And can I say, God hates stinginess. He hates it. I'll tell you a reason why in a few moments. We, we were born a bit selfish, weren't we? Well, we were born selfish, let's just say it. We were born again to be generous. Second Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now here's what I want to teach into a bit. Your giving should never be under pressure, should never be something that you haven't worked out in your heart. What happens to us is that before we are giving, we are often attacked by selfishness and all the reasons why we should hold on. And we can be attacked by grief or, or kind of remorse giving. 
This kind of happens if some people have been put under pressure to give. You, you give because you think you ought to just join in. You've been pressurized. And then afterwards, you think, oh man, I wish, I, you know, I feel a bit not good about that. But you see what giving should be. And that's why I'm going to spin this out. And that's why I want you to read what I've given you today. Because what giving should be, it should be a considered faith walk or an encounter with God. In other words, something that you're saying, I I just believe this is the way I should give because that's how I'm expressing my faith, or that God met you and said, I want you to do this. That's the only way you should give. Some people feel remorse after they bought something, particularly large ticket items. You know, that you, you actually did it on an impulse. A, a large, you know, like you saw the big TV and you thought, wow, that's amazing. You know, and you just went, yeah, I'm getting it. I'm on my credit card. And then you get it home and you think, oh man, I've got to pay for it now. You should not buy large ticket items without a period of time and after due consideration and some research. I can drive Kathy nuts about buying things in our house. They say, can we just not? No, I've got to look at the specifications. I've got to think. It takes me over two years to buy a car. I mean, seriously, Kathy is so fed up. She said, I hate going to car showrooms. No, I just want to check out the specifications. Just need to know the finances, okay? Just need to do that. She hates it. In fact, when we bought our last house, in the end, she said, Mark, go around and choose six houses, and I'll just come to those. I was looking at 20 houses, you know. Wasn't that right, Kathy? Oh, it's three. It's three. And that was, I gave it, you know, we had a choice of three. What you should do is if you're buying a large ticket item is to see if you can run them with their ongoing costs and that's how to cope with grief when you're buying. Do your research and take your time. How do you cope with grief on the giving side of things? Oh, oh I'm really sorry. Just to interrupt this message, I've just remembered I've got to take some people out for lunch and I've forgotten my wallet. Scott, can I have that 50 pounds, please? Thank you. Wow, he was quick, wasn't he? I don't want you to think that's how it works around the staff, you know, if I just click my fingers and say, Scott, give me 50, then he gives me 50. You know why he could be so quick? This is my 50 pounds. (laughs) I gave it to him before the service. You see, Scott's got no emotional attachment to this because he doesn't think it's his. Hello. You see, if you think all of your resources are yours, when you give them away, you're going to go, oh, God, do I have to? But actually, we need to gain the perspective that we're not the owner. We're the manager. We're the steward of our money and all the things that God has given us. And we are just returning 
our things to the one who gave it to us in the first place. We are grieving because we thought it was ours in the first place. Now, can you get a new perspective today? Begin to change. Come on, let's go countercultural. The world wants you to own and acquire and grab and stuff this hole inside your soul with stuff. And nothing will fulfill the hole in your soul apart from God and this relationship. You know, we grieve because we think it's ours. But let today, can you gain a fresh perspective? Could you say to yourself, I am managing it, I'm not owning it. Even the clothes on your body. You're managing it, you're not owning it. You are taking care of things for God. Did you know that the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? So that everything in the world and all who live in it are God's. So we manage our relationships. We steward our marriage. We steward our kids. We, we steward the things that God has given to us. And we say, you've given that to me. It doesn't mean that somebody can just say, oh, that's God's. I'll take it from you. No, he's given it to you to manage. So we're not saying that people can come and just take what's yours. You're taking care of it for God. In fact, you should take care of it even better. And not just give your stuff away to everybody who asks. Because you're managing it for God. You've got to deal with that grieving heart. And you can overcome grief by understanding this principle. Thirdly, let's develop a generous heart. In the economic system of Israel, every seven years, all the uh, workers or the bonded workers would be set free. But the Bible says, look at verse 14, it says, supply them liberally with your flock. In other words, don't just say, ah, oh, you've done your time, now go. No, send them with the arms full. Supply them liberally, give to them as the Lord's blessed you. And here, the, the, the scripture tells us to be, do more than the need presented before us. Do more than your duty. Don't just get by. Let's renew our minds in this. Now, how can we do this? And we're going to share communion in a moment, but first of all, we need to understand that we've been shown great mercy even before we ask for it. We, we have been given great love when we weren't even seeking God. Come with me. Go back to Luke chapter 6 with me. In fact, open your Bible with me and let's read the words of Jesus and you follow along. Let's, let's just take these in. This is Jesus himself speaking. And he says it this way, Luke chapter 6, verse 32. Follow along with me. We're just teaching today. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. 
Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, I know some of you have heard that the church just wants your money. We don't want your money if you're going to give it from a wrong motive. Please, keep it until your heart is right. Please do that. But can we be like our Heavenly Father? Can we be like Him who's merciful? Be generous to be like your Father. God is saying, when are you going to grow up and be like me? That's what he's saying. Children, when can I get you to be like me? I've got two sons-in-law. I love them. They stole my daughters right from under my nose, but I love them. And I took them to a football match, Stoke versus Everton, because one of my sons-in-law, he supports Everton. Pray for him. (laughs) And... uh, we, were, we went to this match. Now, I, I don't know whether it's still the case, but it was in Stoke. There's always a naughty end of the football ground, isn't it? In Stoke, it's the Boothen end. It's where all the hardcore supporters are. Uh, those of you who are Chelsea supporters, do you remember the shed? Okay, you've obviously no. There's no Chelsea supporters in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, Okay. <laughs> And, and you're too nice to know about this stuff. But we were in the Boothen end, and I must say, the language was a little bit tasty and a bit rich. And uh, it was a little bit like, whew, as a vicar and a Christian, this is a bit of an environment here. And it was a nil-nil draw, so the frustration was growing and growing and growing. But I looked over, and there was a, this hardcore Stoke supporter because I don't support Stoke, by the way. I'm from Stoke-on-Trent, but Port Vale rules. You don't even know what Port Vale is, but never mind. Um, and he was, well, effing and blinding and saying all this hateful stuff. And actually, I looked down, and his little son was next to him, and he had a look of fear on his face. And I thought to myself, that boy's fear is going to turn into behavior if he keeps following you like that. It's a real moment. And I'm just wondering if I can reverse that and say, can we become like our father who's loving and generous and merciful and gives out forgiveness when he gets judgment? You see, the reason why we can develop a generous heart is because we can be like him. He can shape us. And we need to, lastly, I'm going to just close with this, we need to develop a grateful heart. In Deuteronomy it says, remember that you were in Egypt as slaves and the Lord redeemed you. This is why I give you this command. This is a command. This isn't a nice sermon where you say, well, Pastor Mark, I'll go with you, I think, when I get the option. Actually, I want to deepen this a little bit. God commands us to be grateful. Remember, remember, never get over being saved. Can I say that to you? Way up in the balcony, way on the internet. Don't get over being saved. Our generosity comes from our ongoing gratitude and thankfulness 
of what God has given us. Remember that everything you have has been given to you by God and it's easy to give back to him from a grateful heart. Have you ever had that experience when you lend somebody something and then they treat it like it's theirs and they become entitled to it because you've left it with them a while? Has that happened to you? In fact, all through the morning, I think that's happened to somebody and you've been hurt by somebody who's got something of yours that you'd only lent to them and it's like they don't want to give it you back. Have you had that experience when somebody has something, given it to them and then it's like after a while they think they own it? Has that happened to you? How do you think God feels? And he's given you all this grace, all this love, and you walk around as if you own your own life. We reward in our children. What do you reward in your children? Greed or gratitude? What do you think God's going to reward in his children? Greed or gratitude? I love some of the Christmas presents I've had from my girls. You know, when they were growing up, they were absolutely useless, most of them, but I loved every one of them. But there was one time that Lydia, my older daughter, she went out all on her own and she, she researched this and bought me a video rack. And it's famous in our house, the video rack. I mean, hang on, let me just explain to you what a video is. It's a plastic square thing with a tape, magnetic tape inside. You could watch films on it. And I used to put all my films in this video rack. It was hideous on one level, but on another level... She went out on her own and thought, what can I get for my dad? And you know what? That generosity, we always reward it, don't we? I'm going to ask Phil just to come and join me because I want us to take communion together and remember what God has done for us. So let me say this to you. Let me ask you this. Does God bless givers? If you ask me, does God bless givers, I want to say to you, yes. But those promises that I've read to you today, they're not there to entice you to give more money so that the church gets more money. They're not there for that. Those promises are there to free your heart. Those promises are there for you. Those promises are there so that you can move greed and grudging out of your heart. Now, Kathy and I, wouldn't we say this, Kathy? Kathy and I, we think that you are a very generous church. And many of you for many years have learned the secret that generosity is the way to go for as a person. But I want to say to you that maybe having come to this point over the next few weeks, maybe you'll allow me to take you deeper into what you already are and to give you some new perspectives on that whole journey. Because God's purpose is to change your heart so that you can have a relationship with Him, so that you can be free, so that you can be used of Him. So over the next few weeks, I want you to ask the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord, what do you want me to give? What do you want me, how do you want to work on my heart? 
What do you want to do in my life in the area of generosity? Do I need to use my talents more? Do I need to encourage more? Do I need to give more time? Lord, what do you want me to do in the area of generosity? What about my attitude? You see, I want to pray for you today if you need prayer just about generosity. There's a man one time, and you know this illustration, he's goes to the barbers and uh, they get talking Is man's a Christian and the barber says oh I don't believe in God at all he doesn't exist and they have a little chat about it and everything and, and uh, you know the, you know, doesn't want to get into an argument about it so he says well you know I, I believe in the Lord and you know uh, they go through a few uh, arguments and debates about it but then he finishes haircut and uh, he goes on and the man goes out in the street and he sees a really long-haired, hairy man. You see, the barber had said, I don't believe in God because all the things that happen in the world and all the suffering and things, and you know, I don't believe because he should do something about it. So the guy goes back in and brings in the long, hairy man and says, I don't believe in barbers because if there were barbers in the world, there wouldn't be all this hair on this man. And the barber said, that's ridiculous. He's just not come to see me to sort out his hair. And the man said, exactly. You just haven't been to see him to sort out some of your problems. And I want to say to you, let's go to see him.